The moratorium on commercial rent arrears recovery measures, which had been set to end on the 30th of June, has controversially been extended, leaving many landlords out of pocket and short of options. But to discuss what avenues do remain available and how landlords can make the best out of what may seem like a very frustrating situation, I am joined today by Shams Rahman, partner in property litigation at law firm Edwin Co. Great to speak to you, Shams. Thank you, Jess. So, First, before we get into the discussion of, of what, what uh, options do remain available, can you remind our listeners which of the, the conventional recovery measures uh, currently remain off the table following the extension of the moratorium and until what date? Yes, so uh, really two key points here. As listeners will recall, March 2020, we went into uh, lockdown suddenly and the government brought in emergency legislation under the Coronavirus Act and two main restrictions were put on at that time. Firstly, in connection with forfeiture based on rent arrears, that was frozen effectively. And secondly, at what used to be known as CRA, which is the Commercial Rent Arrears Recovery Regime. And that also became subject to the moratorium. So whereas previously, uh, landlords could uh, call upon uh, bailiffs to enforce against uh, properties and seize goods and, and sell them uh, or mm-hmm. dispose of them to recover against arrears owing that was taken off the table as was forfeiture uh, based on rent arrears uh, alone now with the government's recent announcement last week the moratorium was due to end at the end of this june and there had been three month extensions previously Amazingly, that's now been extended for nine months until Mm. the end of March 2022. So by the time we get to March next year, effectively, the moratorium would have been in place for two full years. Yeah, which is, as you say, quite remarkable. And uh, over that period, uh, very large sums in rent arrears have have uh, mounted up um, across the industry. The the, the estimate is in is in the billions. So. What options do remain uh, available for landlords? I, mean, I think one of the main uh, routes that, that has been pursued by certain landlords is to launch a debt claim for rent arrears. So can you outline how that process works? Yes, certainly. Um, so I mean, f- first of all, since, um, since the beginning of lockdown last year, only something like 20% of commercial rents have actually been paid on time. So mm. this has obviously created huge issues, both for landlords and tenants. And many private agreements um, have been entered into, which I think explains why there have been few actually reported court disputes. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of options and issuing a debt claim, what the landlord can still do is obviously not to forfeit the lease, but bring a money claim at court. And that requires sending a letter before action to the tenant, that's a requirement under the litigation civil procedure rules. That gives cost protection to landlords, so they must conduct themselves reasonably and fairly. And the starting point is to to send the letter before action to say, under the lease terms, these are your obligations, you haven't paid, you're in breach of covenant, you're in breach of contract of the lease, you must pay up. So you give the tenant a reasonable time to respond, If they don't respond, you would then bring, as the landlord, you would issue a court claim at court. Uh, That would be a a debt claim. Typically, that can be done online as well. And uh, a court fee is payable, and the court fee is measured in accordance with the the overall um, 
um, amount of the claim. And uh, so you would uh, bring that claim. The tenant then has time once it's served to put in a defence. And the matter is then heard that there may be documents exchanged between the parties and some evidence exchanged in the form of witness statements. The matter is then heard by the judge and a decision would then be made. Um, the important point to note is that the usual rule in litigation is that the cost follows the event. So in other words, mm. whoever wins is usually entitled to the bulk of their cost from the losing party. So... We had a couple of master's decisions earlier this year in which landlords successfully secured summary judgment on debt claims of that type. Uh, Commerce, Real Investment, Gesselschaft v TFS Stores Limited and Bank of New York Mellon International v Cine UK Limited and others. Um, So how did the High Court masters treat those claims? Uh, And in particular, what what were their views on the impact of the code of practice for commercial real estate? So these were these were very interesting cases because they both involved the landlord um, very aggressively pursuing a summary judgment uh, of their claims. Mm. Summary judgment is where you can fast track the process, and you can, if the court agrees with you, the court will say, well, there's no reason why the matter should go to a full trial, and we can deal with it now on a sort of fast track basis. And effectively, there's no reasonable defence, and therefore the claimant, the claimant landlord, should be given its uh, judgment. So, in in these cases, it was interesting because, uh, in spite of the tenant's best efforts, the court held that uh, the, uh, the, the the COVID-based defences didn't work. The court also said that the the code of practice was purely voluntary uh, for commercial uh, properties between landlord and tenant, purely voluntary and wouldn't have a bearing on the obligations set out in the leases between the parties. The two other key points were the tenants had argued that the landlord should have relied on uh, relevant insurance cover uh, Mm -hmm. against non-payment of rent. And the court said, no, that's not right. The landlord um, is not entitled to rely on that, not least because Although the landlords may or may not have had insurance, in any event, the insurance required there to be physical damage for the Mm -hmm. insurance to kick in. And in these cases, of course, this was a pandemic. There was no actual physical damage to the premises and therefore the insurance didn't kick in. The other interesting argument was one of frustration. And again, the court dealt with that pretty swiftly and firmly and said, frustration arguments can't apply because there has to be uh, there has to be a radical change in the relationship but in reality if if what you have is just a short disruption over a long lease then uh, that's not a good enough reason to frustrate the lease at all so these cases were interesting because they they show that where landlords want to be aggressive uh, and they can show that there's been a clear breach by the tenants not to pay the rent, then in certain cases, the, the courts will side with, 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 with the landlord. But, um, yeah, obviously, the, the in- indication seems to be that there haven't been many of, of these cases brought so far, uh, and that perhaps might change with the extension of the moratorium. But what are the main pros and cons for landlords of proceeding with a debt claim in this way? and in addition, enforcing it if they are ultimately successful? Well, the the main advantage is uh, the landlord has the upper hand in terms of putting 
litigation pressure on the tenant immediately. And um, where, for example, the tenant has been withholding payment, which may not be COVID related, and that's been a big feature of the last 15 months, then uh, in that sort of scenario, we can see that the, the landlord has the upper hand, uh, can exercise that advantage by being aggressive, get paid quickly, uh, as opposed to being uh, in a long line of creditors mm-hmm. if there's a tenant's insolvency later. Mm-hmm. The other advantage could be to bring the tenant to the negotiating table much quicker, and thereby maybe extracting a different form of settlement. There could be an early surrender, there could be a regrant to a third party, there could be negotiation of terms. But by being proactive, the advantage is obviously the landlord uh, puts immediate pressure on and tries to resolve matters early rather than simply wait for endless moratoriums, as we seem to be having over the last 15 months mm-hmm. and, and indeed for the next nine months. And balance against that, are there any disadvantages of taking this route? Yes, yeah, so the disadvantage obviously is, and uh, th- th- there may be genuine cash flow issues uh, mm. for, the, for the tenant. The tenant may genuinely have a COVID-related business trading issue uh, with which the court may have more sympathy. So there is definitely a litigation risk. There's a cost risk, especially as we move into the next nine months. Um, mm. undoubtedly there could be a litigation risk which is always there and if the landlord is unsuccessful then it will face an adverse cost order and have to pay the tenant's costs. Mm -hmm. But as you say with that with that nine-month extension do you you think that for for a number of landlords the balance might shift and they might be encouraged to to take the risk of of bringing this type of claim? Yes I think I think the um, consensus was that um, there would be an extension last week Uh, so beyond June, but I think Mm. everyone has been genuinely surprised by the length of this extension for nine months. And Mm. I think in in my view, given the summary judgment cases we've just discussed, I think that that's likely to encourage a number of landlords, depending on the trading sector, the type of business, the type of tenant and the Mm -hmm. area, location and so on. I think that is likely to encourage uh, landlords to be more proactive and uh, use the court route uh, but as against that, of course, one has to balance the uh, announcement for a new arbitration uh, process. And it may well be that certain parties are caught in a situation where it's a race against time of either litigating now and fast tracking to try and get a summary judgment as against what the government may be proposing um, uh, in relation to an arbitration process. Yeah, we'll we'll um we'll discuss the arbitration process uh, in a moment. But for the time being, whilst we await uh, sort of further details on that, is there anything else a landlord facing mounting rent arrears can do other than to seek to resolve the matter amicably with its tenant? Yeah, certainly, Jess. I mean, there there throughout uh, throughout the lockdown um, uh, process, there have been many other options available to landlords. I think there's been a common consensus, unfortunately, amongst some parts of the landlord community that um, uh, their hands are somewhat tied because mm. they can't afford and rent arrears. The reality is that forfeiture definitely remains on the table, so on, on, on non-rent grounds. So, for example, it's still open to landlords, and I have advised landlords uh, during this time, to serve a section 146 notice uh, based on uh, tenants' other breaches of covenants. For example, mm-hmm. um, unlawful assignment, 
um, unlawful subletting or parting with possession, uh, entering into uh, works without any proper license in place, uh, dilapidations uh, as well. So there are a number of these options uh, which remain on the table. And what I would say is uh, now more than ever, I think landlords do need to take specialist uh, property litigation advice to look at all of these other options. Look outside the box. Don't look just at rent arrears. Look at all these other options uh, in respect of the tenants' breaches. Mm-hmm. Um, instruct a surveyor. You know, go and get a, a schedule of dilapidations prepared. Uh, have there been uh, material breaches under the uh, repairing covenants, for example? Um, have there been unlawful? Uh, has there been unlawful subletting or uh, assignments? And then we can definitely, uh, you know, with a landlord's hat on, you could definitely take action against the tenant. And again, put pressure on the tenant by serving a Section 146 notice mm-hmm. and either then pursuing that with, uh, with, a, uh, with a formal forfeiture, either by peaceful re-entry or through the court, uh, or uh, renegotiating terms which may be much more advantageous to the landlord <laughs> or, or, frankly, for finding, finding a better covenant. And obviously throughout this whole period, the, the code of practice that the, the government introduced encourages negotiation in that way. Um, so do you have any other advice for, for landlords when it comes to re- renegotiating leases and considering such matters as break clauses and early terminations? Yeah, I mean, the, these points have to be looked at very closely. And certainly in terms of uh, any surrender, for example, uh, that needs to be properly documented, negotiated and then documented. So advice needs to be taken on that. Uh, break clauses, again, um, uh, break clauses, uh, as far as the landlord's concerned, uh, the landlord needs to study very carefully whether a tenant has validly served a break clause. Um, there are often uh, arguments, a scope for arguments to say that the break clause hasn't been validly exercise and therefore the lease and all its liabilities continue. There's the recent case of Capsule Parks, uh, Leeds and Global Radio, which was a case regarding a break clause. And in that case, it was found that the tenants had been woefully uh, inadequate in terms of performing their obligations under the break provision, which meant that the lease continued and all those liabilities continued. So the landlord landlord was able to argue successfully that a tenant failed in its duty. So all of these points are uh, worth looking at very closely um, in terms of the landlord's options. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, you know, one of the main bones of contention is is is, is uh, rent arrears. So there, there are other options to investigate in terms of different forms of, of payment of rent, aren't there? And uh, potentially making that payment more manageable for tenants as we, uh, you know, gradually uh, return to normal and some of these um, commercial tenants are, are perhaps finally bringing some money in through the doors. Um, there are there are other other ways to proceed rather than the, the traditional quarterly rent, aren't they? Yes, yeah, certainly. And so what we have seen um, uh, over the period of lockdown is obviously cash flow issues, both for landlord and tenant. Mm. From the landlord's point of view, they'd much rather have a tenant paying rent and in occupation. So there has to be a happy medium in terms of what works for both parties. So what we have seen is a shift to monthly rent instead of quarterly rent uh, because of the cash flow issues. 
there has also been definitely an increase in turnover based rent, um, which uh, tenants are now arguing for. Um, the other um, other possibilities are to are for the landlord to insist on a guarantor mm-hmm. uh, or for rent deposits. So, you know, all of these uh, all of these options are definitely there uh, to be examined and negotiated between the parties. So it sounds to me like your overall message to landlords would be that their hands aren't as tied as they perhaps think they are. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And I think they, they must think outside the box, think at all, look at all the other options available uh, before uh, before taking action. Um, I mean, I always say the, the best form of action is to communicate uh, initially mm-hmm. and try and see if matters can be resolved by uh, communication uh, rather than litigation. But uh, if all else fails, there are definitely options still available. And the government hasn't taken action at the moment to remove remove those other options off the table. And lastly, you did mention um, this, that the government has announced that when the moratorium does finally come to an end, it is planning uh, an arbitration procedure for resolving COVID-related um, lease disputes. And now we, we await further detail on that and the, the necessary legislation to introduce it uh, is uh, still a little bit of a way off. But what are your thoughts on these proposals and, and what will be needed to make them successful? I think it's uh, I think it's interesting. I think the whole issue has to be viewed against the backdrop of the proposal regarding the new arbitration process. It's only just been proposed, but mm. the, the government has been relatively quick, of course, in the past at bringing forward legislation during the course of the pandemic. And I think careful thought needs to be given to the type of tenant, the reasons for failure to pay. Uh, certainly, the the masters in the recent High Court cases that we discussed earlier indicated that uh, cases where a tenant cannot pay may be treated differently. So, for example, if you have a hospitality tenant who's been forced to close for long periods of time um, and who may have provided financial information demonstrating an inability to pay, it could be treated very different to a commercial tenant of office mm. space where they have continued to trade, but they're simply not paying. So I think I think I think it'll be interesting to see where whereas the courts have traditionally um, had a first past the post system, mm-hmm. which means that the claim any issue any claim issued now should still be heard on the basis of the current law before any change. Um, in the last year or fifteen months, we have seen insolvency judges, for example, making decisions based on draft legislation, and people have been very reluctant to use the insolvency process. So the, the risk to landlords is, is one of costs, of course, and, and also presentational if they try and rush and issue proceedings, uh, given the recent announcement. Um, the great unknown is how the courts will treat those claims mm-hmm. uh, in view of the arbitration process. But I think just a couple of words on the arbitration process as well, uh, which I think are important mm-hmm. uh, for listeners to, to, to know about. But um, it looks like um, with the new arbitration process, what the government is uh, looking at is having a vetting process for the arbitrators. Um, and of course, that is likely to lead to delay and, and a time lag because um, part of the process, as I understand it, will involve an information exchange between landlord and tenant, where the tenant will have to disclose financial information supporting their claim as to why they can't pay and obviously being COVID related. 
So that, that entire process is likely to take time. The arbitrator will need to be vetted. We don't really know how that will work in practice. So that's likely to lead to further delay, I would suggest. And historically, the courts have been careful not to force landlords to accept tenants where the relationship has irretrievably broken down. Mm-hmm. And that can, of course, happen with, with persistent arrears. I think the other, the other interesting thing moving forward will be the impact of all of these points on lease renewals under the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954. Uh, so there, there was a case recently uh, during lockdown involving W.H. Smith and its um, uh, lease of, a, a, of its shop, including a post office within the Westfield shopping centre. And interestingly, uh, the, the court sided with, with the tenant in terms of the, the rentals on the new lease. And the 50% discount um, was effectively factored into the new lease. And the, 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 the court said, well, this is effectively an island. This property was trading within an island in the shopping centre where there was no one present. Mm. Um, so I think, again, 1954 Act uh, renewals will be very interesting to watch because uh, if landlords try and negotiate certain terms now, then on any renewal, um, they may well be stuck with those terms uh, because the starting point is uh, the court looks at the existing lease and uh, looks for a good reason as to why one should deviate from the existing lease terms. So I think there's quite a lot. um, It's it's very dynamic Mm. and uh, there are quite a a few factors to, to look at. It's it's rarely boring being a property litigator, but I, I imagine you're in for an even more interesting uh, time of it over the next year or two. Absolutely, it's it's uh, it's never anything less than interesting. <laughs> well, um, I look forward to hopefully speaking to you again, perhaps when we've got a little bit more detail about what the arbitration process will involve. Yes, certainly. I think we're we're, we're watching out for uh, further information on this. Well. Thank you very much, Shams. Um, You have been listening to the EG Property Podcast.